I'm Emily P. Freeman, and welcome to The Next Right Thing. You're listening to Episode 49. If this is your first time listening in, you might not know that we've been on a short break from new episodes, and I have to tell you, I am so glad to be back. I've been counting down the days until it was time to record again, which I guess is a pretty great sign that my break paid off. Meanwhile, during the last few weeks, we passed a few more milestones on the podcast. The first one, in the last episode, number 48, I mentioned how I would love to pass a thousand ratings on iTunes. And thanks to you, we did it. We currently have 1,039, to be exact, and this is a fantastic way to help support the podcast. So thank you so very much for that. But the second milestone is the next right thing turned one. Last month marked our one year anniversary and I have done exactly nothing to celebrate because I'm in grad school and all my extra energy is saved for article reading and paper writing. So this will have to suffice for our celebration. Yay. But enough about this podcast. Let's talk about you. Last week, I asked on an Instagram story, what is the most difficult part of decision making for you? By the way, if you're interested in connecting me on the podcast, Instagram is the most fun way to do that. You can find me at Emily P. Freeman. So I asked that question about decision making and literally hundreds and hundreds of you answered and your responses were so insightful and honest and most of all, completely relatable. Rather than summarize all your answers here, because that would take forever, I'll just say that your answers confirmed what I was already fairly sure of. Decisions are hard and we want to make good ones. We don't want to hurt people with our yeses and our noes. We want to move forward with confidence. We don't want fear to boss us around. We don't want to procrastinate and put off the decision just because we don't know what to do. We don't want to live with regret. We want to move to the rhythm of the heartbeat of God, but what is his heartbeat in this and how can we know? The complete answer to that is bigger than we can tackle in one short episode. But for today, I'll speak to it the best I can. So listen in. About a month ago, I sat in a green and white striped chair in St. James Park. I was there to co-lead a trip through London with my friend Tish Oxenrider. Her role was to do the heavy lifting. She planned the itinerary, booked the guest house, and basically led us through a foreign country and kept us alive. My role among our small group of eight was simply to make sure we didn't miss anything, to hold space for God and for one another. We processed new lands together, both the ones we toured in England and the ones we encountered within. So there for a few moments before our conversation started that afternoon in the park, I thought about what it took to get us here, gathered in a circle in a lawn in England on a cool day in July. Almost exactly 18 months before this moment in the park, I got a message from Tish. I remember exactly where I was. I was looking out the window of our upstairs bedroom. I listened while she pitched an idea to me that seemed crazy at first, but that's also what made it exciting. Because if there's one thing I've learned over the last decade of writing about faith and creativity, it's that all good ideas almost always start out sounding a little bit crazy. In that message, she explained that for years, she's wanted to lead a group through her favorite big city on earth. And that's saying something since she is an actual world traveler. You can check out her travel memoir at Home in the World if you want to know more about that. But this idea was growing in her to lead a group of people to a particular place in a thoughtful and intentional way. Like a lot of big creative ideas, she had been wanting to do this for a pretty long time. 
As I listened to her talk, I could feel my heart rate speed up in excitement. I was curious about her idea and what it could look like and how I might be a part of it. She shared about how she had recently told a friend of hers about her idea to lead a trip, but she was afraid of the logistics part, and she was also unsure about how to make it meaningful for the attendees. That's when her friend suggested that she, Tish, partner up with someone else. And that's when she wondered if that someone else might be me. I want to stand on the table and slow clap applaud Tish for sending me this message that day in early 2017 because she did something brave that I'm not sure I would have had the courage to do. First, she honestly admitted something she really wanted to do, and then she reached out a collaborative invitation to see if I might want to do it too. Making the decision to move forward with an idea is hard enough. But one thing that can keep us feeling especially stuck is trying to move forward with a decision alone because we're afraid. When it comes to collaboration, it takes a certain amount of courage to say yes to an invitation. But it takes courage in even greater measure to extend the invitation in the first place. In that moment, there in the park, waiting for my friends to grab their lunches, anticipating our conversation, holding my agenda with an open hand and not knowing where it might lead, I realized the role that I had on that trip to London, the one Tish had invited me to be a part of 18 months before. Well, my role felt like the most natural in the world to me. Though I've never named it this way, or had it be a part of my job in any official capacity, holding space and naming unnamed things is, in fact, my actual jam. I wonder how long it would have taken me to realize this fully if Tish had never extended the invitation, or if I had not been willing to say yes. One of my greatest takeaways from this entire experience, I mean beyond all the wonderful things we saw and did in London, but one of my biggest takeaways was the realization of how important it is for me to say yes to collaboration, to be willing to jump in and see what happens, to move toward people rather than away, and to believe that we really are better together than we are apart. Not only that, I want to be the kind of person people want to collaborate with, so that when I work up the courage to finally extend that invitation, the person on the other end will gladly come sit at my table. If you sense it might be time to move forward in a decision and you think collaboration might be a key component, I've come up with some descriptors of the kind of person to look for and in turn, the kind of person to become. I call her a wholehearted creative and here's what she does differently. Number one, she sees limits as opportunities. She puts excuses aside. She understands her real life, her real budget and her real amount of time is not keeping her from her creative work. Wholehearted creative women know our limits can be gifts if we let them be. We simply have to do what we do best and receive the gift of the present moment with all of its limits and potentials and be creative with what we have. Number two, she integrates her creative work into every part of her life because she has to. She is not just one thing. Wholehearted creativity means embracing our whole lives, refusing to compartmentalize. We bring our creative selves to each situation, open and ready and generous. Speaking of generosity, number three, she believes there's enough to go around. Other people's success does not freak her out. She doesn't hide behind comparison or excuses. Instead, she champions the work of others and hands out her support with grace and compassion. 
Number four, she knows her art is the evidence, but not the goal. Art is not simply the work of her hands. Her truest artistic work is being fully herself in the presence of others. So the book, the painting, the meal, the presentation, these are all simply evidence of a deeper art that's happening within the soul of the artist. Because art is what happens when we dare to be who we really are. Whatever comes out as a result of that, whether you teach, sing, build, write, love, help, or calculate, if you cook, parent, lead, clean, organize, or listen, well, the way you do those things as yourself is evidence of a person who's come fully alive. Next, she doesn't wait to feel qualified. When she's tempted to think that maybe she got this whole calling thing wrong, she remembers that catchy phrase Mark Batterson said, that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. She remembers Moses, Esther, David, Mary, and Joseph. Oh yeah, she says to herself, I'm equipped because God is with me. Number six, she no longer fears the silence. She has made her peace with the silence she sometimes hears when she asks what is next. She trusts the inspiration will always circle back around again. She listens in the darkness and creates her way through it because sometimes that's the only way out. Next, she understands the soul and the schedule don't follow the same rules. The days of trying to force her soul to sync up nicely with her schedule, nope, those days are past. Now she understands the deep work happening in her soul cannot be rushed. It cannot be simplified or systemized. That is not her job. Instead, her job is to pay attention. She listens to the gentle heartbeat of her own life and refuses to try to force clarity out into the open before it's time. Finally, a wholehearted creative woman knows she's an artist. Because though we may not all be artists by profession, we are most certainly artists by design. She accepts her birthright with a humble confidence because she is made in the image of a creative God and this means she has a job to do. Her job is to show up in the world with her whole heart and do her next right thing in love. I want to continue to be intentional with people, to learn from, to work beside, and to champion their work. I also want to, I hope, walk in my own wholehearted creativity and not be afraid to collaborate. I want to invite you to take a moment and consider a few questions for yourself. Am I afraid of or do I love collaboration? When is the last time a collaborative hand was extended towards me? What was my response? When is the last time I asked someone else to join me? How did they respond? Do I trust God to keep me safe when I partner with others? Do I believe He will bring the right people along when I need them? Do I know that my own identity is not dependent upon whether or not I am invited, or whether or not those I invite receive me? 
but that it is sure and strong in Christ no matter what happens next? The way to move to the rhythm of the heartbeat of God looks more like joy than fear, more like love than comparison, more like collaboration than competition, more like together than apart. Thanks for listening to episode 49 of The Next Right Thing. You may have heard Tish and I talk about this trip to London on her podcast, Simple. If you're interested, it's a fairly short conversation, and I'll link to it in the show notes. A quick note for any writers listening who may be looking for some fellow writers to link arms with. Many of you already know I'm the co-founder of Hope Writers, an online community of working writers dedicated to the success and creativity of each member. We help smart, creative writers do their work forever without losing their minds today. And we open our doors just a few times a year. So this is just a quick note to let you know that our fall enrollment will open up on September 10th. So mark your calendar for that if you're interested or if you know someone who might be interested. You can, of course, learn more and add your email to the waiting list so you know when the doors open at hopewriters.com. Y'all, I'm thrilled to be back here talking with you. This podcast has been one of the most surprising gifts of the last year for me in my life and in my work and I'm grateful you've received it with open arms and enthusiasm. As always, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.